Hello and welcome to the Ikario podcast, where we help you unleash your true potential, break free from the human zoo and become a force to be reckoned with. I'm your host, Shane Malach, and today I'm here with Ryan Blankers. Hey, Ryan. Hey. So as you can tell, it's not Ollie, who's usually sitting over there uh, on the episode today. And that is because, well, we had a brief conversation about something that I think is is really important. Yes. And that follows on from uh, other things we've talked about on the podcast, about self-acceptance and how it relates to kind of performance. Mm-hmm. Now... Um, so just for a bit of context, so Ryan is part of the Ikario team. If you've only listened to the podcast, this is the first time you're encountering Ryan. Yes. But uh, if you've been on the YouTube channel, on the blog, then, you know, he's one of us. So let's, yeah, to tee this up, let's let's get into it right away. So you were talking about the topic is basically like the, I would say, like almost the theory versus the mm. practice of self-acceptance. Mm. And can you can you give me a little context? Because you were talking about... Um, a practice or maybe a series of practices that you've been doing for developing and deepening self-acceptance. Yeah. And clearly it's also a very important topic to you in general and has been for a while, I think, right? It is, yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me a bit about that? Like, how did you come across this and and what was it that you were doing? Well, it's interesting because I actually came across this after a breakup, like a Mm. really bad breakup that I had. Um, And at that point, I kind of realized that I needed to do some more inner work versus just focusing on external things. Um, So that's when I actually came across Louise Hay, who is a very old kind of people call her like the grandmother of self-help type of thing. Mm. And she talks about self-love a lot. And one of the main things that she says is that the only thing she focuses on is self-love when it comes to any area of life, like performance in general. So I think for me, I started doing some of the practices that she suggests, which is like basically inner child work, Mm. like basically healing like little traumas that happened in the past that essentially everybody has, she would say. It's, It's not something that's like you need to have some terrible upbringing to deal with this. Um So I started doing some of the like self-love affirmations that she suggests. Um, Like, I love myself, I accept myself, stuff like this. And it's really interesting what I noticed happening. I I noticed that my thoughts started changing. Mm. Um, So one thing that she talks about is she says, the number one way that we don't love ourselves, like the number one obstacle to loving yourself is self-criticism. Right. So it's basically just like most people criticize themselves probably a lot more than they know. And I definitely did. And it's not something that I was aware of until I started doing mirror work, because you start basically you're basically forcing yourself into self-acceptance by doing affirmations and stuff like this. And then I think what happens is that the habitual thought patterns that you have start to kind of almost be overrided or in in question right um and so what i noticed is i would be in situations and instead of having like a certain anxiety in a social situation instead of 
being like in my head, like, oh, what do they think about me? Or, you know, I'm not being cool enough or I'm not being funny enough or being on this podcast and being like, oh, I don't sound smart enough or something like this. You really, it really just settles down Mm. that chatter in your head. And that's what I noticed is the main thing about it. For example, and then if I were to go on a date or something like that, I would be less worried about me. I would, I would be less insecure And that, I think, just allows you to interact with the world in a more authentic way. And so that's basically how I came across it. And and what was your question? You said. So, yeah, actually, let's let's dive into a couple of the things you you touched on there. Mm -hmm. One of them is so self-criticism. Yeah, I think this is like right away. This is an interesting thing that I think anyone can reflect on. If you think of the the kind of the chatter, like you said, in your head. Like how much of that is like judgmental and self-criticizing? And I agree that this is, it's an interesting marker of, I guess, underlying things, right? So it's not necessarily that the the chatter itself, it's not just that. It's also, there's an underlying reason why you're always doing that, right? There's like an mm. underlying emotional wound or something that's leading you, or there's a fear maybe that's leading you to be so self-critical. And then also, this is like a habit of mind. Exactly. Um, you, you're just used to essentially talking to yourself in that way. And and this really resonates with me because that's one of the things that I experienced as well. Like in my, in my journey of self-development, that's one of the big things I had. I was super self-critical. Like I had so much noise in my head about how bad I am, basically. Mm. <laughs> various, you know, various... Um, different permutations of basically you're not good enough. Um, I had a lot of that in my head. And that's one of the things that over several years of work, I also noticed this effect where it's just like, it just goes away. Eventually it just kind of fades. Like I almost never do this now or yeah, basically never do this. I don't have this like critical inner Mm. judge anymore. And yeah, so, so I just wanted to highlight that because I think that's something that is a good first step is to just start paying attention to that. It's like, how am I talking to myself? Right. And to not just accept whatever your current state is as normal. Because obviously mm-hmm. you're used to it. Maybe you're walking around criticizing yourself all the time. And you are it's just normal. That's how you've been living for years. But that doesn't mean you have to settle for that. It doesn't mean you have to, it has to stay that way. So, and the, another thing, so specifically you were doing, so you mentioned mirror work. Can you give us like a quick walkthrough of what that is. Yeah. So mirror work, it's interesting because I'm honestly hesitant to talk about this just because it's, it's something that is not, not exactly something that everybody knows about, right? It's not something that's mainstream by any stretch. It feels a bit weird. Basically you just, you look in your own eyes in the mirror and you just do affirmations like that. Um, And the idea of it is that you're actually connecting to that inner child. So the theory is that essentially up until you're around three, four, five years old, as a kid, right, you don't really have this level of Mm self-criticism. If you look at a baby or a young child, they don't they don't necessarily have those self-critical thoughts yet. But then as we go through life and as we interact with adults in the world, the message that's basically communicated to us is that you're not enough. You just look around and it's like, you're not doing this good enough. You're not smart enough. And and essentially, we begin to form this, I think, this this image in our minds of who we have to be to be acceptable. And that's not the way that we are. 
So we essentially shut this inner child out at a young age, being that we we just basically reject ourselves. We say that we're mm. not good enough. So when you're doing mirror work, it's essentially you attempting to reconnect with that child. And, you know, for me, like I'm the type of person who if you tell me something's going to improve my life, then I'm I'm willing to try it, even if it's something that seems a bit out there or a bit weird. And actually, I in a way, I kind of prefer those things because you know, when I think about mirror work and I think about it like something that not a lot of people are willing to try, it's almost like in a weird way I have like an advantage because yeah. it's like something that not a lot of people are, are will do or are willing to do. Yeah. I mean, I have the same attitude. It's like anything that doesn't, anything that I have no reason to believe is going to be harmful, I'm willing to try. And clearly if it's weird, I, I think that's that is a good sign because whatever the mainstream is, it's clearly not working for people, right? Yeah. <laughs> like generally, like you like you were saying, generally everyone's walking around feeling like they're not enough. Generally, totally. everyone is like weighed down with all the, well, So whatever the mainstream is doing is not working. Right. So we have to look outside of it. Right. And there's so much I could talk about on this topic. But basically, I, I had some pretty profound experiences when I did this, especially when I first started doing it. Did you find it difficult to, the, to because you're, you're standing in front of the mirror the, and saying things like, I love you, right? It's difficult. Yeah. The first time I did it, I actually started bawling out crying. It was, it was crazy. Hmm. And because the reason is because you realize how critical you've really been, how self-critical you've really been. Like you, you look in your eyes and you start approving of yourself mm. and instantly all those other thoughts that you've been that you've been consistently repeating in your mind just start surfacing and then you really get a clear look at them so the idea like a lot of when it comes to affirmations there's a lot of criticism around them i think because it's like the idea of you going from I don't like myself. I hate myself. I'm not good enough. I hate my nose. I'm too fat. I'm this. I'm that too. I love myself is way too big of a jump. Mm. So your subconscious mind can't accept that. And that's a valid thing that I think that that's valid. But what the mirror work does is that you're saying something to yourself that's so drastically different than what you usually say. So the, there's an analogy or something I've heard about this that I really like. I forget which of the kind of spiritual teachers said this, but it's basically like if you think of your your thoughts like elves working in like a factory or like Santa's workshop or something, right? Mm -hmm. And they're just going about their business the way that they usually do. And then all of a sudden a completely different like type of elf comes in, right? A completely different message comes in and they basically pick it up and they, they don't know what to do with it. So it, it's extremely confusing. Mm. So what happens is it kind of sets your thoughts into turmoil. All those thoughts start coming up that say, no, 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 you're not good enough. You can't be good enough. You can't be lovable. And you start to see them. And that's what I really think it does. Like it, it, it gives you awareness to, to your thoughts because like a lot of times we're just not aware of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just what you've always been thinking and you're just used to thinking and feeling this way. Yeah. And so when I first started doing it, it was just it it and i don't know it it's it's 
interesting because I've told a few people to do it, but I don't know many people who've done this. So this is the thing that Louise Hay sw like swore by. She gave this to all of her her clients and stuff like this. Mm. So I don't know if this, it would work like this for other people, but I just know for me, I would do it and then my day would be significantly different. Um, yeah. It, 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 it just... It just freed up something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So it's like a deliberate shock to the system. Exactly. And so I've never done it exactly like that. I didn't know about mirror work until you mentioned it to me not too long ago. I kind of approached it in a baby step way <clears throat> where it would have felt, this is why I asked if it was difficult. Like I remember when I started working on self-acceptance, like the idea of te of like saying out loud that I accept myself just felt outrageous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, but what I could do is like, I could write it. Right. That was like, I still resisted it, but I could do it, you know? Mm. And then it's like, after a while of writing, I accept myself the way I am. I could kind of make that statement stronger and stronger over time. And eventually, so that's why I'm calling it baby stepping. You know, it's like, once I got comfortable with writing, I accept myself. I could write, I accept myself the way I am right now. Ooh, that's, that sounds more, that sounds like too much until I get used to that. And eventually I get to the point where I can say out loud, I love myself the way I am. And it's right. no, it no longer feels like this, this crazy, mm -hmm. uh, almost forbidden statement, you know? So, so I haven't experienced exactly what you're describing, mm. but I think I've experienced some of a you know a similar kind of work, let's say. And one of the ways I think about this is also I think of this as essentially brute forcing your thought habits. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're walking around with certain habits of mind going on, and if nothing else, you can simply use things like affirmations to just say, okay, look, if I'm spending hours a day. You know, maybe a thousand times a day I'm thinking some version of I'm not good enough, I'm bad, and so on. Well, I can start shifting the balance a little bit by spending 10 minutes writing positive things about myself. Mm -hmm. To just start shifting the balance and to start suggesting to yourself that other thoughts are also possible um, and other thoughts could also be valid. Yeah, and, and for me, this is the thing that I'm the most interested in the world is just basically how our mind works and mm -hmm. how we can basically optimize that. Because in my opinion, you have this extremely powerful instrument inside of your skull. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't trying to learn how to make that work for you, then what are you doing? Yeah. And th that's that's just me. That's just how I feel though, right? So I'm super interested in it. And I would recommend anybody to at least try to start deliberately changing the way they think. But, and this is where, this is what you wanted to talk about on this podcast. Yeah. It's not that simple. So th the thing is like, I'm kind of, a, I'm a very like analytical, um, you know, type of person in the way that I think about things. So for me, a lot of things tend to seem binary. Like mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a one or a zero, right? It's like either affirmations work or mm -hmm. they don't work. Mm -hmm. But the reality of the situation is that there are so many things at play that it, it's not like, because I've been doing this for so long, right? So what I've realized that it's not like you just do an affirmation and it always works. There are so many other things that are coming into play there, right? And so this is reminds me of something that was going on recently in my life, which was that I was just pushing myself way too hard. Yeah. So, and... I'm actually publishing a blog post about this this weekend, which is like how working on yourself can make you miserable. Mm. 
And the basically the idea behind this is that it's not just about what you say. There's so much more when you look at the big picture of how you live your life that comes down to loving yourself. That's how you treat yourself. Yeah. So just to give you an example, like for me, I tend to push myself very hard. And that is just kind of the way that I am. Ollie and I talk about this. It's like in Shakespeare, they have something called like your fatal flaw, mm. which is basically like the thing that's the best thing about you, the thing that gets you through life, but also the thing that kills you in the yeah. end. Yeah. Right. And so for me, that's my drive. It's I'm very driven as a person. I'm very competitive, but then that can also take me down a dark path. Mm. So if I'm not careful, then I'll start working on myself way too much. Yeah. So all of a sudden it's like I have all these daily things that I need to do and I'm trying to eat clean and I'm trying to diet and I'm trying to work on this and that. Mm. So so specifically, right? You were basically, can you walk us through like you were you were working on Ikaru, yeah. you're working on your own business. business. Yeah. You were um, exercising, learning Portuguese, yeah. and what else? Like and then, and then every stuff. morning, mirror work, yeah. uh, meditating, yeah. the stretching routine I do in the morning, and so it it was a bit it was a bit extreme. Yeah. Um, I was also doing it for that video, which is on the Cario channel. If everyone, if anyone wants to see it, it's mm -hmm. like my 30 day calendar challenge or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting sick. And but what's funny about this is that. You know, if you think about it, like like what I said, loving yourself. Well, who is the self? In this circumstance, we're talking about the inner child. Mm. It, it's loving yourself. It's not like the spiritual philosophical self, which is like consciousness. And that's not what it, we're talking about. We're talking yeah. about the inner child, like the inner you. And so basically, if you were to think in those moments, how was I treating myself? If like, for example, say that I had this inner child and we were walking together through my day, like there's me and then there's the inner child. Mm -hmm. And then you watched how I was living my life. And how would that child be feeling? It's like, you have to do this. Now you have to do this. Now you have to do that. You have to do this. And it's like, this is something I said to you too. It's like, I was pushing myself all the time, but still criticizing myself. Mm. So it's like, you're still not doing enough. You're still not successful yeah. enough and you're still not right yeah, yeah and so it's like this is the ironic part is that you can look in the mirror and say i love you but then be treating yourself like shit yeah and it, it i think the the child analogy is perfect because you could be you could have a literal child where you say i love you you're so great you know you're the best but then also do your homework sit down go to bed early no you're not allowed to play you have to work harder why have you studied portuguese yet? it's like okay those two things are at odds with each other. And I think this is also, I think the the verbal affirmation of I love you and you're enough as you are, it is valuable. But the thing that the, the saying that comes to mind is like your, your actions speak so loud that I can't hear your words, right? Yeah. So I think that, I, I think I botched that saying, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so, um, where basically, yes, it's valuable to say this verbally and to affirm this verbally, but if if the lived experience, if the way you actually treat someone in practice, someone else or yourself, yeah. that in the end, that speaks louder. And you know, one of the things this reminds me of is, to me, this was just like the perfect example of this. I remember at some point I was in a park, like training with my friends, 
and there was a guy with a dog mm. and the dog was like barking and kind of out of control. And the guy got angry and angrier with his dog and ended up like shouting at his dog and the dog was barking like crazy. And it was just like this bizarre situation because we, we watched this un unfold. And with a dog, it's like so obvious. Look, the dog doesn't understand the words you're saying, right? The, the, you're, you're saying stop, bark like you're screaming at him, stop barking. All he's seeing is that you're super agitated and you're being loud. Yeah. And so he's also agitated and loud, right? He doesn't understand the words. Your actions, the, the, thing that, the things that you're doing, that's what speaks volumes. And it's like with a dog, it's obvious because if you think about it, okay, obviously the dog doesn't speak English, right? <laughs> so, so it's obvious that the dog must be cueing off your behavior. Yeah. But in a way, you can also think of that in the way you relate to other people and the, the way you relate to yourself, right? Yes, we understand language, but there's the kind of the, the emotional component, the, the, your tone of voice, uh, the way you, yeah, just kind of the everything else, everything nonverbal speaks super loudly. And, and yeah, I think what you were experiencing was like verbally you were saying one thing, but with everything nonverbal, you weren't really confirming I love you, you're important, et cetera, et cetera, right? That's an interesting way to look at it, yeah. 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 And I also want to say, by the way, so we're talking about self-love and self-acceptance here. And for anyone who hasn't seen that episode yet, we have an episode where we talk about um, the why there is actually no conflict between self-acceptance and high performance. Because I think some people... Right. This tends to be kind of a, a misunderstanding, yeah. I think, in, in the self-development space where it's like, oh, but if I truly accepted myself, I'd just be lazy or something. But this is something we addressed in an episode that we'll link to in the show notes. So we are just operating from the assumption that developing deep self-love and self-acceptance is good for ambitious people who want to be high performers. It's it's crucial. Yeah. There's so many things we could talk about on on w with regard to that. I mean especially for people like you and I, it's important because the the whole, and it's interesting because it's like the idea of self-care. I think that a some people are just intrinsically better at it than others, just mm. based on their personality and the way that they're wired. So for example, if I look at my sister, she just seems to know how to take care of herself. She mm. wakes up, she eats just the right amount of food. She does Imagine a workout. <laughs> she plays with the dog. Like she takes things one step at a time. She makes sure to 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 enjoy her time and spend time with mm. friends and, and stuff like this. And then I look at myself and it's like, if I'm not careful, I'll beat myself <laughs> into the ground. Yeah. Right. And just work so hard. So it's it's true. It's, Did you ever associate self-care with weakness? Because I think that's what it comes down to for me. I think that I'm also I'm so, not good at self-care. And I think for me, it, for a long time, I felt like, well, that's. I don't know. That seems like something weak people okay. do. So there's something else I want to talk about. This is what another thing I was going to say is that like that's a that's a um, a misconception that we have in society that we're sold on, right? Yeah. But there's another even bigger one I think that is like suffering. Like to to succeed, you have to suffer. Yeah. Success has to be painful. Yeah. Work has to suck. You cannot be happy. Yeah. Right. If you're happy, then you're not working hard enough. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so I actually really think these two go hand in hand yeah. because it's like if I let myself be happy and enjoy myself, take a day off, do something I want to do, even just choose a career that I enjoy, 
It's like, you can't do that. Mm. You have to be, you cannot be happy. You have to suffer to be successful, right? Yeah. You have to sacrifice all the things that are important to you in your life. And for me, I have this massive, like, like dissonance in my head about this because I grew up in Toronto, which is a very, you know, like capitalist, like very corporate city mm. where a lot of the people I grew up with, they did the traditional you know, finish university, get a job downtown in the middle of the city in like the financial district. And that's what I was going to do. And so moving away from that, I had a lot of scripts and things in my head that I had to gradually pull back and say, no, it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to go do the thing that you want to do. And, and so I think that they go hand in hand, right? Because it's like, if you think that in order to be successful, you have to suffer, then what that leads to is you're basically saying, if I'm, if I'm happy, then I'm not doing the right thing. I'm not being successful. So it makes it very difficult for a driven person like you and I to have the best of both worlds. But like you said, in reality, if you did accept yourself, if you did love yourself, if you did give yourself time to do things you enjoy, then you would automatically perform better and you would communicate better with people because you would just be in the, in a better place. I don't I don't think that that you can be you know, I don't think that you can be miserable and be successful. A mm. And it's interesting because if you look at the Elon Musks and um we were watching the Joe Rogan podcast the other day with the CEO of Whole Foods. I forget what his name is. But something interesting I heard him say was he said, when I was building Whole Foods, we were doing 12, 14 hour days. But he's like, I loved it. Yeah. I wouldn't be doing anything else. Right. Yeah. So you have the Gary V's and these people shoving like you, they're basically telling people that you have to live like this because I live like this. Mm. And this is how I became successful where, well, it worked for you because you don't want to do anything except build businesses. That's just all yeah. you want to do and you love it. Yeah. So as an up and coming entrepreneur who's hearing these messages, it's basically like you can't have your cake and eat it too. And I'm not saying that you you don't work hard. Of course, you work hard at times. But these are kind of the messages that I think cause me and still to this day it's not like i've solved this clearly um it's something i'm still working on mm. but these are the things i'm starting to notice in myself that are kind of pulling me in two different directions you know yeah yeah and i think it's the whole you have to suffer to succeed idea it, it is an interesting one i definitely had this for a long time as well and of course it is true that there is a correlation between hard work and success a lot of successful people work very hard that's true but there isn't a causal relationship between hard work. It's, there's not a causal relationship. It's not the hardness of the work that leads to the success, right? So, and, but this is this is actually something, is a topic we have to go deeper in in, in a separate uh, episode or, or content piece at some point because there's quite a bit to, to pick apart here. But one thing that I think we can all do is we can look for counterexamples because yes, there's examples of people who work super hard and tell you how it's crucial to do 14-hour workdays, et cetera, et cetera. And they're successful. Yes, that exists. But also, there are, if you look for them, there are examples of other success stories. And for example, Derek Sievers comes to mind, uh, who's really interesting in general. Like, um, if you, you know, he, he appears on podcasts. I don't think he has a podcast of his own, but he appears on, on various podcasts. <laughs> and is usually really worth listening to. And he 
is someone who comes to mind that's super successful, very, very successful person. And he is not someone who, you know, preaches about doing endless, uh, you know, working your fingers to the bone until you drop dead kind of thing. And there are other examples of people who are highly successful who live a much more, like, let's say, balanced life. And I think it's useful to start unwinding that story that says you must suffer, you must suffer to be successful. The interesting thing, and this is something that I want to I wanna be, be more clear about, is that, you know, we're saying hard work. But the thing is, the, the equating of hard work and suffering, they're not the same thing. Right. So that was my point, right? The people like Elon, the Gary V's, they love building yeah, businesses yeah. so much that that's not hard work for them. Mm-hmm. So more of what my point is, is that the, what you really want to do is, is separate the idea of life and work and, and really just don't think of them as two separate things. Yeah. And then this is a conversation I had with Jonas the other day because what's Jonas is the the filmmaker on our team for those mm-hmm. who don't know. What's amazing about him is that he works relentlessly until four in the morning sometimes keeping me awake as he did last night. Thank you, Jonas. <laughs> and basically it's like it's he's not working, right? He loves this. Yeah. He loves movies. He loves making films. It's not work for him. So it's not equated with suffering. It's actually the opposite. And he talks about this, like doing work that pulls you. Mm. It's like you're pulled to it. Like I want to do this, right? Versus feeling like I need to sit down and work 12 hours a day and that'll make you miserable. So I think if you can start to identify the things that you actually want to do with your time and then start to merge those with what you do for your career. So for example, like there's certain things that I love to do, right? Like I love self-development and I love the, the, the things that I do if it wasn't for work, mm. right? And, and now I'm in a fortunate position with like where Acario, I'm talking right now about something that I love learning about. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not the same, you know? Yeah, I think I really, for what you just described there, I think the term lifestyle design is really good. So instead of thinking of, well, you know, here's my job and, separate from my life and I, I have to do my job in order to be able to live my life. It's like, if you think of it more like, how do you design your overall lifestyle? And this is a great challenge, but I think it's a very worthwhile challenge to think about how can I design my life in such a way that the things that I would be doing anyway, the things that I would want to do if money wasn't an issue are the things I do to earn money. That's kind of the ideal outcome. And and then also at the same time, yeah, some people love to work 12 hours a day. Some people don't. And it's the same. You can say, well, okay, if I'm someone who's like super driven and I want to like obsessively work on something, great. I make that my career, right? If I'm someone who wants to have more of a balanced life, like I don't know, I want to go surfing, family, you know, this, that, and the other, then what does that mean? How do I design my life around this? Where obviously, probably I'm not going to generate the same amount of income as the 12 hours a day guy, right? But that's fine. You like you don't have to. You only have, an, have to have enough to live, right? So you can think again, like how do I actually design a life that, yeah, that, that kind of is aligned with how I want to be spending my time? Dude, and that's hard. It's hard, That's yeah. hard. <laughs> and that's the reason why most people don't do it because... What it involves, it in, it involves the 22-year-old version of me, qu- like quitting the job and career that I, in my mind, I should be doing and going in a direction that's a complete risk, 
mm. with with no upfront reward, right? It's not going to start to pay off. And it's like, this is one of the reasons why I admire Jonas so much, because he was like, I don't want to do school. I want to make movies, so I'm going to make movies. Yeah. And I think that depending on your support system, depending on the way that your parents, like I'm really lucky that my parents supported me in that. And so what I'm describing is difficult. It's like it's difficult in your own mind because you have to take that risk. Yeah. And and something else that you just said with the, you know, it's super interesting because you and I know that there's no, there is a relationship between the amount of time you spend working and the amount of money you make, but it's not a direct relationship. Yeah by any means. And I think that a lot of people think this because I used to think this too. So it's like, if I work 12 hours a day, I'm going to make more money than I did if I worked eight hours a day. But that's not. And the reason I think this misconception exists is because the message we get is you have to fucking hustle. Yeah. You have to do what Gary Vee does or you won't be successful. Well, yeah. if you want to build a hundred million dollar company, that might be the case. But at a smaller scale, there is a situation where you can make more money working six hours a day than someone who works 12 yeah. hours a day. Well, and also, you know, it might take a period of doing the hustle to build the foundation right. of, let's say, a business that then allows you to work four hours a day. And But that's, again, where lifestyle design comes in, where if you're clear about that goal, if you have a clear idea, of, okay, here's what I want the, the end result to look like and you formulate a strategy, then maybe you have to work super hard and super long for several years to build that. But that is much better to do than to just blindly hustle away and accumulate more money and then spend the money on shit you don't need and so on, right? Which is kind of the default path most of us are on. But that's also, like, like you were saying, yeah, it's super hard to do this kind of lifestyle design. And that's one of the reasons what we're doing what we're doing, right? We basically want to empower people with, I think that's, there's a point of self-development. It's to like raise your power level to the mm -hmm. point where you can do that, right? Where you can, because for me, as people, you know, listeners know, I go on about this quite a lot. It's like, it's all about freedom. For me, the, the point of making money, the point of being an entrepreneur, the point of doing what I do is like, I want freedom. freedom yeah. And, and yeah, it can take a lot of like, I sacrificed a lot of my free time. I sacrificed a lot of freedom for many years in order to build the basis of, of my freedom which I think is worthwhile. It's a good way to, you know, Dude, it's worth doing. It's like designing, it, it's like having the end in mind, right? Like you just mm -hmm. said, lifestyle design and, and knowing what you want. And, um, you know, I have this concept that I think that I've been thinking about a lot that um, that is actually the conclusion of this last blog post I wrote. Basically, it's that your job is joy. And the reason why I, I say that is because if you make joy the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and you say that my ultimate job is to enjoy my life, that's mm -hmm. really why I have a life because I want to enjoy it, right? There's these, these goals that, ha that, that I have that I don't know where they came from. If I displace them with joy and I say my job is joy, I want to live a job that I want to live a life where I can experience and I can enjoy my life as much as possible. Now you can start to rework things in a very different way. And so that doesn't mean you do nothing yeah. because that's not a joyous life. Exactly. And yeah. I think that joy a lot of times comes from purpose and giving and stuff like this and doing what you enjoy doing. But if you put that as the goal, 
then you rework things backwards from that. Mm. Now you're in a situation where you really love yourself because now you're really living in line with what you want to do. Um, And so that, and that's where I think it comes back to what we said before with the fact that there's basically this dissonance in a lot of our beliefs and my belief where you have to suffer to succeed Mm -hmm. that wouldn't allow you to make joy your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's why it's so, it's such a kind of like a mind fuck, like your job is joy. Mm-hmm. I can't be. It's a it's a really interesting reframe. Yeah, I think that that's really worthwhile. Like especially if someone's hearing this, going, "No, that can't be right." <laughs> like if you're resisting this, that's the point. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting thing to explore and think about and maybe write about. It's like, okay, why am I resisting this? What exactly is wrong with this? That could that could <laughs> dig up some. <laughs> I could dig up some stuff. Yeah, that's good. So to. Yeah, I think so. This has been very interesting. I, I'd like to bring it back a little bit to um, the practicing self care or self love or self acceptance or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, because yeah, that that was one of the conclusions, right? Is that you you were you noticed that the way you were living your life, the way you were putting pressure on yourself, was that was not very loving towards yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and this is something that I also I struggle with this, right? If, I'm, I'm exactly as you described. Like, for me, it's much easier to like torture myself and work 12 hours a day and just be like obsessed and, you know, sit in front of a screen all day and stuff. That's much easier for me to do than to say, hey, you know what? I can take a break. I can chill out. I can do other things, right? So I have to, I have to work, <laughs> I have to work on self-care basically. Yeah. And so what are things that, that you do in practice, you know, to, as, as like self-care things? This is a good question. I'm still trying to figure this out. Like this is this is what I'm saying. This is still something I massively struggle with. Yeah. But so something that I think is there's a couple things. Um, one of my aunts is like a spiritual teacher, and she had this thing she told me, which is like taking a Ryan day. Mm-hmm. So the idea of a Ryan day is that you literally plan nothing. It's just like whatever I want to do, I'm gonna do. And what's interesting about that is that that's actually hard. Yeah. Because it's like I'm it's like I'm so used to doing things for a purpose, for an end outcome and having to be goal driven and focused that for me, just being like, okay, I'm just going to have fun today. What do I want to do? Shit, I don't know. Mm -hmm. What do I even like to do? (laughs) So the second thing I'd say is make a list of the things that you really enjoy doing and do them more. Yeah. Right. It's like, let yourself do the things that you love to do. Um, yeah. And that's, that, that's, that's what I've been, been trying to do more and more. Yeah. 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 For me, there's, there's a couple of things that I'm practicing. So, and one of them is actually in terms of how I invest time, money, and energy. Hmm. So this is something I had to kind of train myself to do. And one of my rules is that when it comes to my, my health and well-being, I will always invest, like I will never try to save, I will never try to save money yeah. when it comes to my health. I will never try to try to be like, oh, I don't have time, you know, I, I'm going to save time by doing less things for my health. And this is something I really had to like rewire my attitude, especially when it comes to money, because for a very long time, I was just like frugal about everything. And so then it's like, oh, this gym membership is a bit expensive, so I'm going to save this money. Whereas now I'm like, no, no, no. 
this is important for my health and for my well-being. And if the gym is a bit more expensive than usual, that's perfectly fine. I'm going to invest that money. That is worth doing, right? Uh, and the same with food, for example. It's like, yeah, sure, eating super healthy is maybe a bit more expensive than eating junk food, but it's totally worth it. Like, I'm not going to save money on food and, you know, not have not have blueberries or something, you know? Um, so that those are like things where I had to like train myself to, to prioritize this. And that is something I think of as self-care. And then another thing is that I just allow myself to have slow days and like low performance days without without judgment. So yeah, if I have a day where I'm just like, I just feel sluggish, I just don't feel like like doing work. And like, look, in, in most cases, um, you know, if there's, if we're working on an important project, then it's, I see it as like part of my professionalism to just show up and do the work anyway. But I also make sure, and this comes back to lifestyle design, I make sure that I'm not always working on a, I'm not always sprinting through some super important thing, right? So I will make sure that I have periods in my calendar where there's a bit of a downtime. And and right now we're in such a period. And it's like these days, you know, in the last two weeks, I've done way less work than in the several months before. And instead of being like, oh, I'm the, I'm the worst, I should be more productive and so on and so forth. I'm like, no, this is fine. It's okay to like decompress, which is, it's kind of intangible, right? It's like, well, what, what exactly am I doing? I'm basically allowing myself to sit in a coffee shop and, you know, just do a bit of writing and just like I've also, I just spent, I just spent more idle time, you know, more time kind of doing nothing or nothing important. And I just allow that without feeling bad about it. Dude, it's, it's so, yeah, yeah. And I know exactly what you're talking about with the money thing. And this is what's interesting too. I have the same thing, the frugality. And it's, it's like the same concept, spending your money and spending your time and allowing yourself to spend your money and allowing yourself yeah. to spend your time. And that's why I'm saying if you reframe your thing to like your job is joy, then you start allowing yourself to do things that make you happy and that you enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And it reminds me of um, Jonas's friend from Germany, Till. When Till came here, he's like this super fashionable guy who like you look at and you're like, holy shit, like how does he dress this or whatever? And then you find out he's super into fashion. Mm -hmm. And then he tells you that he spends basically most of his money on clothes. And it's like, dude, that's ridiculous. Like you have how many pairs of jeans? Like that's <laughs> stupid, right? But that's just me. And and that's what I mean. That's, that's my inner dialogue that's basically saying that, you know, what he has is he's allowing himself to spend money on things that he enjoys. Yeah. And that's obviously an extreme example, but it's something I have too. It's like, I have to save every dollar. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. And I think it's with something like fashion, you know, if you, I think it's a problem for me, it would be a problem that I'd want to solve if I feel like I have to, right? right? If I feel like, Oh, I have to keep up with fashion. I have to look as good as possible. If I don't dress well, nobody will love me. That's like, okay, hold on. That's, some inner work needs to happen. But yeah, if you're just, if you just love it, then yeah. And for me, by the way, it's like, okay, I'm not interested in fashion, but for me, like camera gear is one of those things. I just really like camera gear. And I have, of course you can say, well, it's for work. I do use camera gear for work, but 
I have more camera gear than I need for work, right? If if you just if you were trying to optimize the budget for the production of a podcast like this and the videos we do, we could do that with half my gear. So why do I have the other half? I just like it, you know? And that's also one of the things that I used to be super strict about. And I just got to the point where, you know, it's fine. Okay, it's fine. I like geeking out over camera stuff. I like reading reviews of the latest cameras. I like sometimes I buy an expensive lens that I don't really need just because... Again, it's like I allow myself to do that. And it's as long as it doesn't, you know, if it if it were to flip over into some crazy obsession where I'm like spending all my money on this shit I don't need, then I would again, I would be like, hold on. I want to examine this. Like, what's going on here? You know, am I like running away from something with like retail therapy? I'm just constantly buying things to not have to think about what's wrong with my life or something, right? I'd want to know what's going on if it becomes like pathological. Mm-hmm. But at the rate I do it, at the end of the day, what am I spending? I'm spending a small portion of my income on this hobby, essentially. There's nothing wrong with that. I can just enjoy that. Dude, totally. And, and there's like a balance, right? And yeah. it's the same thing with what we talked about before. For me and you, we need more self-care. Yeah. We need to regulate this way. There yeah. are some people who need to regulate this way. Yeah, that's true. Well, they don't need to, but they could benefit from it. Or maybe yeah, yeah. they end up in 10 years being like, I didn't, I, d- I haven't done anything with my life. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a good thing either. But I think your your joy thing solves for that too, because if I'm, at least for me, look, I've, um, you know, when I was a teenager, like I was, I was playing a lot of video games at one point. And so I'd spend all day sitting there playing these video games. And I, I mean, I wasn't happier, Yeah, you know? So it definitely, it can, it can like flip over into that. You could say, yes, allowing yourself to play a video game is self-care. But if you're just doing only that and you're kind of slouching further and further into the chair and you're you're fucking up your posture and you don't feel good anymore and you're gaining weight and you're not even having fun playing these games half the time, then say, hold on, something's going on here. This is not optimizing for joy either. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and with the money thing you said, this is something else I've read about, which is like money consciousness. Mm. So the idea of this is like, how do you associate money? What are your beliefs around money? And you can reflect that in your actions. So for example, I go to a store and I buy um, a fucking coffee and a piece of banana bread. Now, there's one side of me that could say, ooh, $7, ah, shit, I should not be spending this money. There's another side of me that could say, I'm grateful that I'm able to buy this, and I'm happy that I'm contributing to this store and this Mm. person's ability to live. Those are two very different things. So for you to buy the camera gear and say, it's okay, I'm happy to buy this because I've worked hard for this and I enjoy it. And then for you to buy it with the mentality of like, ah, $50, no, that's bad. Then, Then really what you're doing is you're communicating to your subconscious mind that money is good and you deserve money or money is bad. And so it's it's just, it's interesting because the way that we act with these things, and it's the same thing with our time, right? Mm. It, in this in this kind of way of talking about it, like time and money, spending your time and spending your money, I like how you said that. Because you can do the same thing with your time. It can be like, oh, I'm going to let myself play this video game. But then the whole time you're like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm bad yeah. because I'm doing this. And then like you said, letting yourself have the lazy days without criticizing yourself. Yeah, another thing actually with video games that I noticed, which was really interesting to me, is like, as long as I played video games and I basically felt bad about it, I always wanted more. So I I spent a lot of time playing video games and always felt like this guilty pleasure in a way. 
what I've what I've done that so then I went through a period where just zero games. And in the last few years, what I've done is basically I've allowed myself to play video games whenever I felt like it, which turns out is almost never, right? It's like now when I play a game, I'm not feeling guilty about it. And without without this kind of guilty pleasure aspect, the bottom line is very few games interest me. Mm. And sometimes I buy a game and I play it for like two hours and I never touch it again. Because it's just like, okay, this was mildly fun, but it was it just wasn't enough fun to for me to want to go back you know and it's interesting that it's like yeah it's it's interesting that the moment i actually allow myself to just experience the thing guilt free it almost self regulates you know where i'm no longer wasting all my time doing something that isn't that good for me yeah yeah because it's like and i feel like it's like that with most things that are just instant gratification pleasure driven things it's like it's giving you pleasure in the moment, but it's not the thing that's going to bring you long term joy and happiness. Yeah. And that's why that's why it's like, OK, ice cream, for example, I like ice cream. <laughs> but if I think about my long term goal being joy and I think about what would make me happy, if I'm like a 250 pound guy sitting on the couch eating ice cream, I'd be miserable. Yeah. Right. If I, but if I'm in shape and I'm working towards goals that I like and I'm healthy and I'm eating well, and then I let myself have ice cream now and then, then I'm happy and that's what I want. Yeah. 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 Well, I think this is, we definitely have to continue this conversation. <laughs> I think we yeah, have we've to, gone we, in a million. Directions. Yeah, we've gone. This we've is, gone I, in many directions. Yeah. I just rambled, didn't I? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. But yeah, so I think this is something we. I feel like we've we've opened many doors here that we could explore further and we will do that in future episodes. But for now, let's let's leave it at that. And I think like as a as a general takeaway, my recommendation here would be to to start spending like to start paying attention to how you're spending your time and money and energy and like what that says about your relationship to yourself. Right? That's basically where we started. Like how do you improve the relationship you have to yourself? And yeah, this is something that I think step one is just awareness. Instead of totally. just being on autopilot, start paying attention to what do, what does this say about me that I'm doing this with my time, energy, and money, and and kind of build from there. And as always, so be if you know if you have questions, comments, feedback on this, wherever you are, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can leave comments there. You can go to the show notes of the episode, leave comments there. You can go to Anchor FM, Anchor.fm forward slash Icario and leave a voice message. So if you have anything to contribute or anything to ask, go ahead and let us know and we can get a conversation started. And I think that's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. Thank, Thank you. you for listening. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed this. Thank you. Yeah. All right. See you around. <laughs>